Oh no, he's put a new ad at the front of the podcast. That's what you're thinking, but that's not what this is about. Guess what? There's some changes coming in a little while. Keep listening over the coming fortnights to find out more. Hello and welcome to The Rufus Project, your fortnightly guide to whatever's catching our interest at the time. I'm your host Trevor Holland and very soon you will also be hearing from my good friend and king of cult cinema in Brisbane, Christian Fletcher. And what an awesome, awesome podcast we have in store for you. We look at a Marvel movie marathon that happened to celebrate the launch of Avengers Age of Ultron. Christian has had a listen to Madonna's latest album to let you know if it's any good. I take a look back at the Dead or Alive fighting game series to prepare for our attempt to see if the 2006 movie adaptation, DOA, Dead or Alive, can be redeemed. Of course, we also have the geek news, Christian's got some great upcoming events, and we've also got an excellent competition. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. There's not a lot of news I'm going to focus on this fortnight, and thankfully, it's mostly good. Well, the first one is kind of mixed. Not a good start, a good end. Almost a fortnight ago, the Australian government said that they were looking at introducing GST on purchases under $1,000 made from overseas vendors. This has been floated before, and all analysts pretty much agreed that it would cost more to administer it than they would actually receive in way of revenue from the taxes. The little spin on it this time is that it would also include digital services hosted overseas. Things like Spotify, iTunes, Netflix and was dubbed the Netflix tax. While in less than a fortnight, it was canned. So, in a rare, rare, rare change of form, somebody at the government realised something was a bad idea and stopped it happening. It would be lovely if we could see this more often. Now, there has been a bit of give and take over the Australian ISP, IINET, quite a popular ISP, third biggest in Australia, There has been a bit of a bidding war going on between TPG and M2 to actually purchase IINET. Now, the big worry, of course, was that uh, IINET and its own subsidiaries would be subsumed into some bigger brand. Well, on the day of recording this, the news has come through confirming that no matter who buys it, IINET is going to stay standalone with its own support structure and... Basically, everything is just going to be business as usual. As an IINet customer myself, I am quite glad to hear that. Now, finally comes the smegging fantastic news that Red Dwarf has been given more seasons. Yes, seasons, plural. Two new seasons of this fantastically funny space comedy are on their way. I can't wait. I did quite enjoy the season that was released 
last year through the Dave channel on uh, on UK TV, and I am definitely looking forward to seeing more of Lister, Rimmer, Crichton and the Cat. Bring it on. Dead or Alive, also known as DOA, is a video game fighting series that was produced by the company of Tecmo uh, and developed by Team Ninja, who have had quite a long um, career in history with regards to, to video games. The game series focused is really on fast-paced fighting uh, in a three-dimensional uh, playing field. The really, when this game first came out, the only other fighting game that could compare to it in this 3D fighter was Virtual Fighter, which was a very technical, very precise game, which required a very, uh, almost planning and good knowledge of how the combo system worked. Whereas the DOA fighting um, really placed the emphasis more on, like, really quick and efficient attacks uh, with regards to things like combos and, and air juggles. And uh, and really, the game's countering system was probably its most revolutionary aspect because it really meant that uh, characters could quickly respond, react and recover from attacks as opposed to the slow technical set of moves that prevailed in, in the competitors to this game series. The the counter system, which was like I said, quite uh, quite innovative at the time, essentially worked by uh, taking the guard button, which lets you do blocks in in pretty much any game, and then allowing you to respond by moving your joystick in the direction corresponding with with where you thought that the attack was coming from. And this, of course, would then create a powerful counter-attack. And if you timed it correctly, it really could change the flow of a game and, and help you come back from what looked like a surefire loss. Big fans of the game series will always hail this as the reason that they play. The fact that the fighting system is superior than a lot of the competitors out there. However, the game series itself became probably more infamous for another reason. You see, right from the first Dead or Alive, way back in 1996, the female characters within the game roster were, shall we say, rather endowed in the chess department. This itself wasn't that rare in gaming, and still isn't that rare in gaming, let's be honest. What set Dead or Alive apart from the other fighting games was that the breasts had their own physics engine. So they actually moved slightly behind the rest of the character and then had momentum when the character stopped moving. Hence the term jiggle physics. Now, defenders of this game will say it doesn't matter that, you know, they, they still maintain that the fighting system is the core of their enjoyment of the game. And look, whatever side of the fence you're on, that's fine. I'm not here to judge. Yes, Dead or Alive has an excellent fighting engine. However, the creatives obviously know what aspect of the game gets them the most commercial attention. You see, not only... Are there fighting games within the DOA series 
there are a number of spin-off games, starting with Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball. As you may guess, there's no actual fighting in this game. It was pretty much comprised of only the female fighters from the game series, who spent most of the time in bikinis or even less, where you had to take them through a series of mini-games set on an island resort, with the upshot that at the end of it, there would be two-on-two games of beach volleyball in these various uh, swimsuits, which ranged from standard bikinis to, well, dental floss. Subsequent sequels to this game, The Dead or Alive Extreme 2, dropped the volleyball name because volleyball was no longer the main central experience. It all became about getting the characters in skimpier costumes doing the various mini-games that had them getting wet, showing off, and even had a photography mode, which was just a little bit disturbing. It got even more disturbing when Dead or Alive Paradise was released for the Sony PSP gaming system. This pretty much focused exclusively on the photography as its main focus, uh, I'm, I'm not going to go any further down this path because, frankly, it does get a bit creepy. Okay, it it does get creepy. Let's move away from the spin-offs and come back to the fighting game series, shall we? Of course, the latest in the fighting series, Dead or Alive 5, is on all the consoles out there and now on PC. It takes advantage of the spear graphics. It's not only got highly detailed character models, uh, it models uh, in things like dirt, sweat, water, to to have a very impressive visual sheen over that still very solid combat mechanic at the core of the fighting experience within the game series. And of course, it still panders because <laughs> you can get DLC packs which largely are costumes for the female characters again, where essentially uh, you have, like, say, a garland of flowers or just some strands of hair and a very, very small piece of material being the only thing between having an M-rating fighting game and a pornographic fighting game. That probably is, at the core, the, the biggest thing about the DOA game series. It is a good fighting series, but obviously the pandering with the female characters gives it this terrible, terrible reputation, and the jiggle physics are well and truly still in place. At the end of the day, really, it's up to each person, I suppose, to judge whether or not they they appreciate this game series. It certainly has its merits, even if... The graphical styles and the costumes for the female characters, again, do get on the creepy side. This gaming series even had its own movie spin-off. But if you want to hear about that, well, you're just going to have to wait till a little later in the podcast. You will never defeat me. No one can face me. It is time. Prepare! <laughs> Tuning, 
I thought for this podcast, instead of doing a feature, I would look at Madonna's latest album, Rebel Heart, and give it somewhat of a review. Now a month on since its release, it's time to kind of reflect on, on what I think of the songs and, you know, see the opinions that, that I have formed of them. I will be basing mine off the deluxe edition, which is 19 tracks. There are so many versions of this album that have been released. The standard edition doesn't even feature the title track, Rebel Heart, which is quite bizarre. But as mentioned, I will be going off the 19-track deluxe edition, which I feel sort of ties it all up and um, and feels more like a whole album rather than these bonus tracks tagged on the end. Throughout the end of 2014, a lot of songs that Madonna was working on were leaked online. And after these leaks continued into December, she decided to fight back with her actual official release of six tracks. These worked out to be the first six tracks off the album, so it gave us a chance to get used to these songs and get to know them before we listened to the album as a whole. As mentioned, there were 19 tracks, so anything we could do to break it down would be much better. In comparison to the whole rest of the album, the six songs kind of feel a bit weak to me, and I think it's because I'm quite used to them, having been listening to them since um, December, and the other ones having been um, only heard since early April. The lead single from the album was Living for Love. It was the song that she performed at the Brit Awards when she had the infamous fall. I mean, as an opening song and a lead single, it's okay, very reminiscent of Like a Prayer and her late 80s sort of output, but I felt, you know, in rep- it didn't represent the entire album and there were many other tracks on the album that would have um, created much more of a, a better vibe for her and, and possibly even chart success. She has followed this with Ghost Town, which has become a bit of a sleeper hit. Now, hey, I've even he- been hearing it on Nova. Interesting, considering all these radio stations have been turning around and saying, she's too old, we will not play her on radio anymore. So she's hit a nerve and Ghost Town has become very popular. Hey, the release of the um, music video, which actually featured Terence Howard, became a social media trend around the world. I'm really not a fan of the song Devil Pray, and I think it's the problem is it's um, it's its location within the album. I think it should have been a lot later. I feel her talking about her singing about sniffing glue and, and um, doing e and and smoking weed and everything like that for the second track of the album. It, it already kind of turns off people, especially if you were looking hey to play this album to somebody who you're trying to convince <laughs> this is actually a good album. And Rebel Heart is it's been it's one of her best albums in recent years, and. Um, and it was good that I was able to hear songs on there, especially the last um, three of those original six, Unapologetic Bitch, Illuminati, and Bitch I'm Madonna, songs which I felt sort of picked up the pace a bit more and were a bit more out there and had some very, I suppose what the young kids would say, sick beat. Um, Unapologetic Bitch sort of had a bit of a reggae feel. I kind of liked it, very laid back, chilled. Illuminati was produced by Kanye West, so it definitely has that sort of feel. You know, Madonna's always trying to appeal to the younger audience, but um, it's still very catchy at the same time. Bitch on Madonna brings back Nicki Minaj, who she featured with on her last album, and it has some very sick beats, as courtesy of Diplo, and it's um, rumoured to be the next single, and um, very out there. I don't know necessarily if it's radio-friendly, but it'll be interesting to see how it goes. 
now that we're past the, the initial six tracks, um, I started to get very excited. As I said, this was unknown territory to me until about a month ago. You've got Hold Tight, which is very anthemic, um, very exciting. But to me, the, the song that has bubblegum pop or, or almost mainstream hit written all over it is Joan of Arc, track eight. If Madonna doesn't release this as a single, she's crazy. It's so catchy. A lot of people said the original demo, which leaked of Joan of Arc, was so much better. But thankfully, I've only heard this version and I love it. The song Iconic was rumoured to be featuring Mike Tyson, and I was really interested. And he is on there. He is actually just doing an intro and doing a lot of sort of motivational sort of speaking uh, alongside the song. But the song is rather interesting and has this sort of fairground catchiness about it. Now, Heartbreak City sort of struck a nerve with me, and it sort of feels like, I don't know, a sequel or possibly a prequel to track three, Ghost Town. It sort of feels like it's continuing the story of this post-apocalyptic world and um, these lovers that are involved in it. Moving on to Body Shop, it's a song almost whispered by Madonna. It's the sort of song I'd never thought I'd hear from Madonna, and you know what? I like it. Now, a song that's resonated a lot with both Madonna and the fans has been Holy Water. I haven't quite got into it as much yet, and I think it's because the later songs of the album I haven't really listened to as much as, say, the middle middle lot and the original six. So, Holy Water and um, Wash All Over Me, whilst very, very catchy, I need to explore a little bit further, but hey, they're still fantastic songs. And Inside Out, so damn catchy. I want to love you from the inside out. So, she's kind of going on a bit more of a sort of sexual or innuendo, which I know she plays up a lot with in um, the the song Sex. The title track, Rebel Heart, has actually copped a lot of flack for not being as strong as, say, a lot of her other title tracks, but I think it works as an end of an album. If you were to look at the album sort of, not as a concept album, but as a series of, I don't know, (laughs) it's up to your interpretation, but really um, Rebel Heart very much ties it up, almost like an epilogue, sort of brings us back to reality and goes, you know, this is what the album's all about. So the, the fact that the standard edition doesn't feature the song Rebel Heart is quite strange to me, so I definitely believe I need to listen more to the second half of the album, but it is without a doubt one of Madonna's greatest albums in recent times. I hope you enjoy. I live my life like a masochist Hearing my father say Told you so, told you so Why can't you be like the other girl? I said, oh no, that's not me And I don't think I really thought long and hard about whether or not to review Age of Ultron in this podcast. I mean, seriously, by the time it hits and downloads, if you want to see this movie, you've already seen it, or you've had someone else convince you to see it. So instead of going back and reviewing what was a very fun, very fine movie, I thought I'd instead do a little look at one of the more insane evenings well, I'll say evening, you'll see what I mean in a second, uh, related to the release of Age of Ultron. Of course, what I am talking about is the rather insane team-up between Marvel and Nerdist, uh, a podcast-slash-geek entertainment network in the US, for the ultimate Marvel movie marathon. This is one of those times where I am jealous of people who live in the US because, frankly, this night sounded like it was amazing. I've got to stop saying night. It was actually two nights. So, as probably you can tell by the the title, 
This was a marathon viewing of every single Marvel Cinematic Universe movie in order leading up to a slightly advanced screening of Avengers Age of Ultron. To give you an idea of how long this took, the first movie, which was screened at 6.30pm on April 20th at the El Capitan Theatre in Hollywood, was Iron Man. Well, the final movie in the list, Avengers Age of Ultron, started at 8.30pm April 21st. So, to recap, this is we're talking about watching Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America the First Avenger, The Avengers, Iron Man 3, Thor the Dark World, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Avengers Age of Ultron. Okay? All in a row. Apparently there was about a 20-30 minute break between most of the movies to let people get up and refresh. I am pretty sure there may have been some people having naps, perhaps, through, say, The Incredible Hulk, and perhaps even Iron Man 2. Am I showing my preferences here? Um, but it wasn't just watching the movie, having snacks, and being entertained by the guys from Nerdist Industries. Of course, Chris Hardwick, if you are aware of the Nerdist podcast, he hosts that and he is the head of Nerdist, was there... He introduced the night along with Kevin Feige from Marvel, who is, I suppose, one of the main uh, contacts between the Marvel comic book studios and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But of course, what is any Marvel experience without an appearance by Stan Lee, who came and joined them on stage? The guest didn't stop there. Uh, before the Avengers, Clark Gregg came out. You may know him better as Agent Coulson from various Marvel movies and, of course, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Apparently he was very good. He actually gave donuts to the crowd. A non-movie Marvel person turned up. Uh, Deborah Ann Wall turned up. Anyone who's watched uh, Netflix Daredevil will recognise her. But probably one of the biggest thrills of the night came towards the end of the night when just before Guardians of the Galaxy screened the penultimate movie of this marathon both James Gunn the director of of uh, Guardians and uh, Michael Rooker who plays Yondu came out to entertain the crowd now James I've actually seen video of this James Gunn was quite composed quite happy uh, really excited about what was going on Michael Rooker was crazy, doing somersaults and throwing popcorn at the crowd. But I I guess by that stage, everyone was probably going a bit stir-crazy anyway, so it probably fitted in with the entire mood. Of course, those people who did make it through the entire movie marathon obviously got to see Avengers Age of Ultron slightly before the rest of the world, and got a whole swag of goodies, as well as a chance to win tickets to the premiere of Ant-Man, being the next Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. By all reports, it was an absolutely amazing couple of days. I don't know if I could have made it through the entire 11 movies completely conscious. I'm pretty sure I would have had to doze off a few times during that, obviously would also want to make sure that I was alert as possible for Guardians being my favourite of the movies so far, and of course, 
Age of Ultron. But yes, apparently the night was a huge success and they are already talking about doing an even longer marathon when Avengers Infinity War hits in a few years time. So what do you guys think? Do you think you could sit down and do an entire marathon of the Marvel movies? Just think about what that entails. Let me know if you think it would be awesome for someone in Australia to actually try to pull this together. I can't make any guarantees, but it would certainly be an amazing experience. Finally, I can recommend that you go see Avengers Age of Ultron. It's a fun, fun movie. It's not the best one so far, but it really is a fine addition to the series. I was designed to save the world. People who look to the sky and see hope. I'll take that from them first. I hope you guys got ready for this fortnight's Redeeming Features movie. Uh, as always, we can't talk Redeeming Features without talking spoilers. So if you are desperate to see the 2006 movie DOA Dead or Alive without it being spoiled, go watch that, then come back to listen to this, okay? Because <laughs> that's what we're talking about this podcast. Christian, how are you today? Great, thank you, Trevor. And I'm really interested to know um, how many people actually just paused and went and <laughs> watched Dead or Alive, actually. If anyone, you know, wants to let us know, we're all ears. <laughs> but yeah, how are you, Trevor? <laughs> good, good, good. And uh, definitely better for watching this movie. I'll just put oh, well, that I'm really great. Well, I'm, you know, not that I want to, not that I want to give too many spoilers away for my my comments about the film, but I'm 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 thankful that you got me to watch one, and thank God a. I don't know if calling it a, a video adaptation is the right word. I know you'll give me a bit more of a, a, an insight into the film, but I think it's it's one of those ones up there that I've gone, thank God, it's one that I enjoyed. So <laughs> that's what I'll lead off with. So, um, But I'm really interested, Trevor, to get a bit, bit of a background. I've done a, you know, I couldn't resist. I did a bit of light reading, when I say light Wikipedia, <laughs> to look into to the background of Dead or Alive, but I was really interested to hear about, yeah, sort of, um, yeah, where you're coming from, why you chose it, and possibly any dodgy or good reviews that are out there. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll start there. So, DOA, it's it's an adaptation of the fighting game series, also known as DOA, which stands for Dead or Alive. By uh, by reference, that means the title, of the full title of this movie is Dead or Alive, Dead or Alive, which I always, I don't know, find mildly amusing. Uh, I did mention previously that it is a guilty pleasure of mine, so I, I think most people are going to know where I'm going to go with this. Uh, but what the actual movie itself is, it follows three main uh, actresses or combatants who all for various reasons get involved in the world's greatest fighting tournament, DOA. They head off to an island, like I said, with their various reasons and uh, come across a bit of a shady character and at the end of the day have to fight to save... Uh, I don't, actually, I don't know what they're fighting to save, to tell you the truth. 
put it this way, if you don't get bogged down, if you don't get bogged down in the plot details, it's a bit easier to go through this movie. Um, from a, uh, a rating perspective, it's rated 4.8 on IMDb, so surprisingly high when you look at the Redeeming Features movies. But of course, we need to know, does that match the quality of the movie? Is it harsh? Is it generous? That's what we're here to talk about. Any, uh, before we, we go on and uh, actually start with our uh, the one-star review I found here, was there anything that you wanted to add, Christian? Well, I definitely think one thing that you just said in your um, previous statement about the um, not getting bogged down in it, and that's one thing that's sort of going through my mind. It felt so much, uh, both visually and, I suppose, to an extent, plot-wise, you know, so much was happening. But once you sort of sat back and let it sort of do what a movie is actually supposed to do, which is entertain, <laughs> you know, I, I found that it was, you know, essentially entertaining, and you weren't getting sort of sort of bogged down and trying to follow all sort of subplots. And, you know, with a movie that's got sort of special effects where people are bouncing up and down and, and, and doing things in such a way that, oh, God, that has to be fake. You know, you can ne- never do that in real life. When you're coming at that sort of angle, it makes you realise this is really just mindless entertainment where it is just supposed to be fun. So I think that's very much the mindset that I sort of went into. I think from the pretty much the opening couple of scenes when it had that real sort of what I call the MTV editing, really quick cuts and things like that, very much like a comic book, you know, and I think that's what kept it quite exciting and um, and kept me wanting to watch more of it. So, and I think, so that's, I think that's the secret, yeah, not, um, not thinking about it too much and just having fun with it. I mean, it was a box office flop, there's no doubt about that, it was a $21 million budget, and it made a grand total of uh, well, it grossed about four hundred eighty thousand in the USA. Oh uh, yeah! So that's um, <laughs> that's uh, not good in movie terms. <laughs> no, no, that was a, that was about after a year after its release. So <laughs> it didn't do all that well. And uh, what I have here, like I said, we are talking redeeming. We're taking a movie that's not considered the highest in the highest esteem. So I found a uh, a review from Amazon, and uh, this person, it's titled, Please just say you're sorry and I'll forgive you. We all know why we bought or rented this flick, and we all know that we almost had to resort to shoving bamboo shoots under our toenails to stay awake during it. How could something with so much natural resource and unbridled license fail so utterly? Hot women, volleyball, and a fight to the death. That's the very definition of the end of adolescence. So why doesn't this deliver? I honestly can't break through the trauma to remember much, but the feeling is exactly the same as walking out of a strip club a hundred dollars lighter. You got worked, and now you just have to go home. Harsh words? Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I, it did make me sort of think to myself and sort of remember a bit what you said before about where is, you know, like the, the $21 million. But then I think, no, they've done actually quite a great job with the $21 million budget, you know, you know under the circumstances. But, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't necessarily agree with their review at all, and I'd be interested to see, um, yeah, a five-star. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, get away for that. Don't give it away. Yeah, I know. You know, yeah. I can't wait. But it actually also made me touch on something that, you know, look, coming into it is completely, you know, not even thinking about the audiences, but definitely, I don't know if I was stupid not thinking this, this is definitely targeted for a very, very male audience. You know, the whole um, girls kicking butt sort of thing. And it's the sort of movie I believe, you know, director Russ Meyer would have loved, you know, <laughs> kind of this faster pussycat kill kill for the um, for the modern generation. So mm-hmm. in that way, I can see it sort of um, resonating quite well with, uh, I suppose, a male audience and the female audience. So I um I, I do remember when you suggested the um 
that we um, did this film, I remember you know the, recognizing the poster as having seen that in the video shop. So I'm sure the um, it, it did sort of get a bit of an audience on um, on direct to DVD, but. But yeah, definitely, as I said, very much of a Russ Meyer sort of feel. And I don't know if ranking Enter the Dragon in with um, DOA is a good idea, but it also felt very much like a modern Enter the Dragon, which was kind of, you know, these, uh, Bruce Lee going to this island where he has to sort of take down the bad guy. It sort of felt a lot like that. So um, there was a lot of sort of homages for me, or a lot of familiarity, I think is the word I'm looking for. Well, I think that the, the, uh, the tournament trope, is quite prevalent in in most most martial art movies anyway. And uh, if there's one thing this movie does do, is hits quite a number of the tropes uh, <laughs> during its various and uh, should say varied fight scene. Uh, but I'll just quickly go back. You, you're saying with regards to the budget, and you can see it. You can uh, you can see it pretty much straight away when uh, you see. Oh, I've got to remember the names now. This is going to be fun. <laughs> when you see um, Princess Kasumi played very nicely by Devon Aoki, who I do quite like. She's She's been in a number of uh, slightly different films over the years and is quite a, an accomplished actress. But she has to escape through... Uh, you get a few close-ups, but most of the army shots, it's very much... Uh, a group of soldiers just basically copy-pasted a number of times across a, uh, a CGI-enhanced area. But I really think that that sort of stuff, that, that sort of made, that was part of the fun, Trevor. Like, yeah. it was very tongue-in-cheek. Tongue I know, you know, I'm sure that they were trying to, yeah, I don't know, you, were they going for the whole, we're trying to make this look as realistic as possible, or were they really just having a bit of fun with it? It almost, like, I don't know if there's something that I missed, but it, is, is, was there any mention of what year this was supposed to be set in? Because it kind of got this, weird kind of vibe that it was supposed to be some sort of futuristic, I don't know if I'm missing something that was possibly in the video game itself, but I don't know, it was sort of made you sort of um, think that this is kind of very otherworldly almost. Mm. Well, it's definitely a mismatch. I mean, you have the, the mountain top kingdom, where um, Kasumi comes from, uh, but then you have the modern Flash Super Duper Speedboat, where we first meet Tina, played by uh, Jamie Presley, um, we've got the Swank Hotel, <laughs> where yeah. uh, we meet Christy, played by Holly Valance. There's the three mains for you. <laughs> and and it really does, like I said, it does cover a lot of styles and a lot of areas, from, you know, partying by the beach, and uh, there's even a, a showdown between Kasumi and the, uh, the person sent to hunt her. There's that pesky plot in there. Uh, Ayani, played by none other than Natasha Malti, who we know as Rain from Blood Rain 2, which, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was very much your, your, uh, Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon style, which, which fits, I suppose, better in, in more like a, a feudal Japan type martial art. So really, trying to place where this is based or, or what it's getting its core from, it's a pretty pointless exercise. It's, it's from all over the place. So, so am I to believe that, I mean, also in the the original video game, was there never any sort of um, reference to sort of where it was supposed to be set or, or necessarily when? So I, I was thinking maybe it was something that maybe was just lost in translation, excuse the pun, yeah, no, that's <laughs> the, um, by the movie itself. So because from what I read too, um, it did actually get a lot of um, negative reviews when it came out and I, I believe a lot of fans of the original video game would have been against it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, it is, I mean, when you've got something that you really, really like and you see it 
adapted. There is always that, did the movie do it justice? And and when compared, I mean, you can't make a movie that has the same feeling of accomplishment, accomplishing a skilled set of moves against a skilled opponent in a video game. If people go in expecting that from anything they watch, and they're not actually actively involved in, there is always going to be a disappointment. The game itself does do the gamut of uh, of different um, areas, from flying battleships to, again, medieval castles, to otherworldly dimensions, which is one place that the movie, uh, I guess, didn't actually take itself. Well, it's interesting. It would be interesting, you know, having now seen the movie to play the game and see the comparisons. But I think, as you said, you know, they should probably be seen in, in two of their own, sort of in their own right, really. So, but um, but no, definitely, um, I can see Trevor White is a guilty pleasure. It could easily be somebody's guilty pleasure. I can see that for sure. But look, I um, I was um thankful enough to be able to watch it in one afternoon, and so you know, and it really made for a, a you know a fun afternoon's entertainment. You know, very mindless in terms of I didn't have to think too much about it, and totally different to what. I was expecting, and after all the video game adaptation um, redeeming features that we've done over the last year or so, I think this would probably be one of the best ones up there, but I'm, I'm probably just getting a bit ahead of myself <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> I, I can't think of many that, uh, that top this, so let's put it that way. And I think that's um, one thing that, you know, I know that we um, we disagreed on, on a film like Double Dragon, but I felt that Double Dragon was a lot like this in terms of it was so tongue-in-cheek and it, it, it was so self-aware, but... But then, as I'm saying this, I'm also thinking that, you know, DOA is very clever of not being too self-aware. It was just trying too hard to to decide where it wanted to place itself, you know, therefore giving across that whole otherworldly sort of um, feel. But, you know, definitely um, I enjoyed it far more than Double Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I guess probably the other thing that, that does carry over from the video game series, and when you're talking about any of the flavors of DOA, it does need to be addressed, is the uh, the pandering, I suppose you could say. I think um, in this movie, it probably has more slow pans across bikinied butts than most other movies out there that aren't actually like swimwear fashion shoots. But that, look, I don't, I mean, personally, I don't mind a slow pan across a bikinied bottom, but it does get a bit uh, a bit ridiculous after a while. They were very aware of the um, the talent that they had, I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure, and let's let's utilise that as much as possible. Like um, at that point, was um, Jamie Presley? Was she? She wouldn't have been very famous by that stage. I was thinking because it was two thousand and six. Like I know Holly Valance. You know, I don't think even she was known. So I um, I think this was possibly a movie they were trying to make them sex symbols, or or maybe they just got them for cheap. <laughs> Quite possibly. Well, I mean, I'll say straight up. Jamie Presley, I think, is one of the characters that really does make this movie. Just her whole persona, plus the fact that uh, she did some serious training. I mean, we're talking about the pandering and the butt shots and the bikini tops and everything like that, but there is some very solid fighting scenes in this, and Jamie Presley is right up there a number of times, usually with a very sardonic one-liner, and uh, some very, very entertaining scenes with a number of the other characters. Devon Aoki, she's... Well, she's Devon Aoki, who <laughs> generally plays a very serious-style character. Holly Valance, though, I did notice that um, her fight scenes either were against people that uh, that weren't fighters a, a, a great deal, 
and had lots of quick shots. Um, mind you, that cop handing over the lingerie to her with the gun in his hand, that was really smart. Uh, so when when you get to the big fight scene between uh, Holly Valance and the other character, Helena, who is quite integral to the plot, um, who is, again, one of the ones that can actually, actually does have the moves, their actual fight scene basically uh, devolves into a grapple and throwing match. So <laughs> I, I, do, I do feel that, that perhaps Holly Valance may have been a little outclassed and it may not have helped her career. Uh, if that was indeed the purpose of her during this movie, <laughs> I, don't, I think at that stage in her career, she really didn't didn't really matter which way she went. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so I'd be really interested, Trevor, to um, to, well, definitely. I know that you'll have some redeeming features. I don't know. Are you wishing to go into your review yet? I'm, oh. I'm interested to hear the the, the five of the star one. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, then we'll get to you. I'm impatient tonight. I mean, we focus <laughs> we focus very much on the girls. I just want to ask you. When Eric Roberts showed up, what was your first thought? Um, I can't even remember which one he was. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was the head of DOA. Oh, the guy with the sort of long, sort of, the long, yeah, I think I know which one you mean. He looks very, very familiar too. Yeah, yeah, Eric Who Roberts. Was that and why, why would he have seemed familiar to me? Uh, well, yeah, that, that, that helped that. He is notorious for playing bad guys. Okay. And yeah, that's uh, it suited him so well. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, he, uh, the second he turned up, you just know, okay, he's a bad guy. That's settled. You don't need any, any further plot points after that. That pesky plot that keeps getting inserted between the fun fight scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Just be endless fighting, you know. And then, as, as I said before, you don't want to get bogged down too much in the plots anyway. You know, it's, it's one of these things that's so visual and it's more enjoyable that way. So, but of course, you know, if you can um, have him in the <laughs> have him in the role of the bad guy, you set it up straight away. Yep, and um, and that's where they they have their excuse to. <laughs> I thought a, a nice carryover from the game was the fact that they inserted all this technology into the fighters, <laughs> into their bloodstream, so that they can be monitored and their health can be monitored, meaning that any fight scenes can be shown on big screens complete with health bars and <laughs> the uh, victory KO at the end. <laughs> so <And> that, video game. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I, love, I think even in the opening scenes, so I know it happened throughout, but in the opening scenes where they had a lot of the, um, you know, the characters' names coming up on the on the, the screen, I'm like, ooh, this is exciting. I can really see myself getting into this movie. And uh, yeah, it was very much that comic book video game style, so made it exciting. <laughs> but hey, that must be where some of the budget went too. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Um, and then, uh, but I do like that even though they, they get told exactly what's happening and they're told that they're going to be monitored 24-7 and fights could be any time and all fights are being televised and all that sort of fun stuff. And so then when it gets to the end when... Uh, Eric Roberts reveals his big plan and he starts putting their information up on video screen and downloading their data. You got Jamie Presley just going, he was watching us, the perv. So you, you, you knew that. <laughs> and, um, oh, and, uh, I, I can't go any further without mentioning the, the big bad guy plan, which is a pair of cybernetic sunglasses. <laughs> that oh, yeah. turn you into a master fighter who can predict their opponent's moves. Um, I think it was a severe design flaw 
making them so that ultimately they could be knocked off your head. Yeah, what's with that? <laughs> making them into more of a helmet type thing would have been a better idea, but <laughs> possibly something I, they overlooked and didn't really realise until the first day of shooting. It was too late. Quite <laughs> possibly. I think what we should do, I mean, I I did pick it, so I shall let you go first. I mean, um, just with your viewing, what would you think would be some of the redeeming features, Christian? Well, um, as I'm, I've said quite a lot, you know, I, I mentioned the word fun and it's exciting and things like that, but looking at it as a whole, definitely um, worth a, a fun afternoon's entertainment. And um, the good thing about it is it's quite light, which is um, fantastic for someone like me with <laughs> watching a movie, especially with less things to have to take on. And um, it did something that a lot of movies don't actually end up doing, which is actually entertaining, which is um, something that I wasn't even expecting from this. As I said, we've done a lot of um, video game adaptations in the past. And, um, you know, I feel like, um, you know, oh, it's going to be another run-of-the-mill one, just like Double Drag. I mean, um, just like some um, Super Mario or other ones like that. But it really felt that I, I felt like I could get into this and it wasn't too... Yeah, it, it didn't feel like you had to have played the video game to really get it. And I think, you know, as we said, if you didn't get too bogged down in any sort of little subplots and really... Listeners, there's not that many of them, you know, you, you can really just enjoy it. And, um, yeah, and hey, I did. And I really can't think offhand, you know, I, I know, you know, there's witty things like, um, the, the, um, Jamie Presley character, Tina. Is it Tina? Yeah. Tina, yeah. And, um, yeah, which she has to fight her, her dad comes up. Yeah. It's, oh, I, I love um, the relationship between those two. It's yeah, so good. Yeah, that's not spoiling too much, but yeah, let's just say her dad comes along as one of the competitors and she doesn't hold back at all. She's very much, um, you know, hey, the, the, the fight must go on. And um, it's there that she gives a lot of um, this sort of witty one-liners and um, and that sort of deadpan humour. And that, to me, kind of sums up the whole kind of the, the movie, the whole very tongue-in-cheek feel of it. So, but yeah, no, they were a lot of fun as well. Excellent. So um, are you giving it a, a redeemable? Definitely redeemable. And I think, um, you know, if, if people have, um, you know, been unfair to it, go, go and see... Um, some of the other video game adaptations. Again, I can't think I've handed up some of the titles of them. You know, there's been quite a few, but um, yeah, definitely this is one of the ones up there with being one of the better ones and possibly the best of the ones that we've looked at. So, you know, I'm really glad you um, showed me it, Trevor. I'm not going to rush out to see it again or anything, but, you know, I could not complain with my viewing experience. Excellent. I think it's pretty obvious where I'm going to go with this, but I'm still going to make everyone listen to what I've got to say. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is, uh, it's a ridiculous movie with a ridiculous premise, uh, from a fight game that, uh, shall we say, has a bit of a particular pedigree, um, in, with regards to how it treats its, its female's characters. So it would have been a big mistake for them to have done this seriously. Uh, the acting itself varies from cheesy to hammy, and some, uh, just plain bad actors, Natasha, <laughs> but they're all having fun. Uh, throughout the movie, um, and really it has a where it counts, so your, your fight scenes, even though we didn't talk too much about them in particular, they're all very varied and, and quite dynamic and exciting to watch. Um, it would have been a big mistake to have the fights uh, fairly samey, uh, which is probably one of the problems with Mortal Kombat, which is probably the, the most uh, equal comparison you could make with regards to these type of movies. So that definitely keeps it interesting, especially when uh, Tina takes on Zack, the guy that keeps trying to, to crack onto you. You you know that's going to be a big one, and they actually make that one of the most brutal scenes, uh, fight yeah. scenes in the entire movie, and it's glorious to watch. Uh, if it's your thing, 
most of the female cast are in uh, swimwear or underwear for most of the time. And uh, those who are aware of the game series um, offshoots, there is a game out there called DOA Extreme Beach Volleyball, which gets <laughs> a reference in this movie as well. Oh, that's hilarious. Yes, with the the main squaring off in bikinis and having a volleyball match. I don't don't know who'd be into that. No, I don't know. (laughs) Um, I I think one... A couple of areas where it fails is the the plot does get in the way. I know they kind of have to justify putting this movie together and uh, having some sort of through line. Uh, it mainly focuses on uh, the like the most relevant plot is that of uh, Devon um, Aoki's character, and the the side plots really don't go <laughs> anywhere. So yeah, really, that's the only time when when they actually try to give you backstory or plot. That's when you just kind of like our review or friend said a bit earlier. You might get a little twitchy and. In one particular scene, a bit on the board side. <laughs> but uh, overall, it's martial arts fluff, and it stays fun. So it's definitely a huge redeemable from me. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you've summed it up, um, Trevor. That's all I'm going to reveal with is fun, you know. And, um, yeah, I definitely recommend people to go out there and give it a go because don't get put off by just seeing it on the director dvd stand in your video shop. You know, there's a little bit more to it than that. And it is, as Trevor said, a guilty pleasure. And, yeah, I recommend, you know, give it a go. Excellent. So, yeah, we have another redeemable feature this year. Excellent. That makes makes two two this year. (laughs) Uh, The only thing is, Trevor, I am worried that, you know, based on what possibly the decision of the next film is, it may actually break the run (laughs) of redeemable movies. I'm I'm really worried about it, actually. (laughs) Well, we can't say we've had a run. It was, what, Jaws the Revenge from a couple of months ago in this it's not really a run, but before we before we move on to that next movie, and um, I'm kind of nervous about what you, you might be coming up with, uh, let's listen to another viewpoint, uh, a five-star review, someone who absolutely loved this movie to pieces, and see how that gels up with uh, what our thoughts are. Okay, so... Um, the uh, heading is It's a wonderful and very entertaining film based on the usually popular video game Dead or Alive. That's pretty accurate. A great video game to film adaptation that should serve as an example to other filmmakers on how to make a live-action film based on a video game. The plot is sufficient, and the stars and action sequences are impeccable in its similarity to the actual game. If you're a fan of the Dead or Alive game series, you should also add this one to your collection. If you're not familiar with the series, but do enjoy a light-hearted action film with a sprinkle of comedic moments while not sacrificing the seriousness of the plot itself, this should also please you as well. I also love the fact that the violence isn't the least bit graphic, no bloodshed at all, and a very fun film. Five stars. I actually, um, for once, Trevor, um, support the um, review. You know, well, I'm, you know, I, yeah, I see it. <laughs> so I think that that's much better than our one star review, and I think that they've just yeah they've summed up that said the f word again. Fun so <laughs> it seems to be a, a running thing between. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily give five stars, maybe four, maybe three and a half. <laughs> I'm a big fan of it, but I, I definitely would not rate it five stars. I'm, I'm yeah, that yeah, much. I'm, I, I'm enough of a realist for that. <laughs> but my thoughts definitely echo that that last review is um thought. So yeah, I um I definitely yeah as I said. Think people should go out and at least give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Yep, definitely. Like I said, ignore the plot, enjoy the action, and uh, you will have a good time. And now, whilst talking on the subject of possible good times, I um, thought it was about time to reveal the um, the, the movie for the next podcast, Trevor. We're going yeah. back. <laughs> We're going back to 2003 with um, the dare I say Jennifer Lopez, Ben Affleck. Um, I think the pronunciation is right, Geely, or it's, it's, it looks like Giggly. <laughs> and um, that was from 2003, and that was a um, a, a major flop and um, quite controversial. So I thought, um, how about we go and see what all the fuss was about, and uh, and see if this movie is redeemable. But from um, from what I've heard and what I've read, and and um, yeah. I think we're in for a bad run, Trev. <laughs> uh, never say never. It's our jobs to see if we can redeem it. So, yeah, so let's <laughs> go back to 2003 and, and see if the um, one of the last great movies by a Hollywood couple um, <laughs> stands the test of time. I've uh, never, seen, never seen a Benefer flick. Oh, I hate that term so much. So I this know. should be quite uh, quite the experience. Well, from under, I'm under the impression there's only one, but they probably they probably did do a couple together, didn't they? I don't even want to. I shudder to think. Uh, there was uh, there was Jersey Girl, which was a Kevin Smith movie. Oh, how, how stupid! I forgot that. I'm, I'm... <laughs> which I still haven't seen either. Yeah, was it was it when Kevin Smith started to go a bit more mainstream? Was I it? think <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was contractual. <laughs> he had to do it. Cool. Well, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on on um, Geely in a, in a couple of weeks, and um, hopefully we live to tell the tale. Mm-hmm. And of course, if anybody out there has watched DOA and would like to give us your opinion as to whether or not you consider it redeemable, or indeed want to weigh in and perhaps give us a review in advance of Geely, Geely, what? It's a stupid word. Uh, then, <laughs> I think it's a stupid movie. <laughs> yeah, then, uh, then, then let us know because, you know, you, all the contact details, we'll announce them at the end of the podcast. But, you know, we, we'd love to get a bit more input and we, we definitely want uh, more opinions of, of these uh, redeeming features of movies. The more involved, the more fun. Or maybe just the wider to, uh, to share the pain, perhaps. <laughs> And we want to see if people actually um, share our views or if we're just totally wrong and we're insulting the, the DOA fan club or, or whatever movie we're talking about. <laughs> so, um, yeah, always interested to hear people's thoughts on these films or possible suggestions for ones in the future. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. This was a very entertaining chat and it does give me a warm feeling when we uh, can give a movie a big thumbs up and call it redeemable. It makes this segment all worthwhile. <laughs> Those rare, precious moments. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Christian. Dead or alive? Welcome to you all. Each of you has been individually selected because you represent the best fighting style in your specialized field. Soon, you will get a chance to prove that you are the best fighter in the world. Hey, this thing kind of reminds me of a disco. And at the same time, pick up a $10 million prize.
Many exciting events coming up for May. Here's just a bit of a sneak peek. We've got a dream play appearing as part of Anywhere Theatre Festival. Excited to be producing this return season of August Strindberg's 1902 Surrealist play. It's running at the West End Ice Cream Factory, 51 Mollison Street, West End, from the 10th of May right through until the 23rd. For more details, hit up Anywhere Theatre Festival online. Feel like getting into some gold hot pants and spinning around? (laughs) I should be so lucky. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody's doing a brand new dance now, and on Saturday the 16th of May, we're celebrating Kylie Minogue's birthday with a dance party. Taking place as part of our monthly retro parties at Calibre Lounge in Fortitude Valley, this will kick off at 7pm playing all of your favourite Kylie Minogue hits from the 80s, 90s, noughties and now. And even better, licensed bar, dance floor, DJ and it's free entry. This kicks off at 7pm on Saturday the 16th of May... Um, at Calibre Lounge, Brunswick Street Mall, Fortitude Valley. If you prefer more the darker 80s, how about the Smiths? Celebrating the lead man Morrissey's birthday, on the 28th of May at New Globe Theatre, we're having a Smiths video night, which will incorporate concert footage, classic performances, and music videos from Morrissey and the Smiths. This kicks off at 6.30pm on the 28th of May at New Globe Theatre, Fortitude Valley. Tickets are $10 available at the door. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but Gentlemen Prefer Blonde from 1953 is being celebrated for Marilyn Monroe's birthday. On Saturday the 30th of May at 2pm, come along and see a classic Technicolor musical on the big screens. Tickets are only $10, so bring your mum along and hey, it could be a really great gift idea for Mother's Day. Looking ahead to June, we're really excited to be bringing back The Who's Tommy to the big screen to celebrate its 40th anniversary, complete with a totally new surround sound. I'm so excited about this, so keep the 11th of June free at New Globe Theatre, and I'll have more details about that in the coming weeks. For details about upcoming events, head to Christian Fletcher Events on Facebook or visit my website, christianfletcher.com. I look forward to seeing you soon. Would you like to help Christian celebrate Morrissey's birthday? Well, we've got a double pass to the Smiths video night on the 28th of May at the New Globe Theatre. If you want to win this, could not be easier. Just put your favourite Smiths song in a comment on any of our comment option channel things. They're all there, okay? I'll go through them in a bit. It's very simple. Okay, favourite Smith songs in comments. Go. You could win tickets. Double pass. Yeah. Woohoo! Thank you so much for listening to The Rufus Project. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed putting it together. Now, if you would like to get in touch with us with any feedback, comments, suggestions, reviews, whatever could not be simpler. Find The Rufus Project on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, even on Ustream. We're also at therufusproject.podomatic.com. Don't forget to also leave us your favourite Smith song if you want to win that double pass to the awesome Smith's Video Night. We also would love to hear from you if you are someone or if you have an event that you think might be suitable for our local wildlife section. And on the internet, we are all local. Of course, you can get in contact with us through social media or send us an email to rufusreviews at gmail.com. And finally, the moral of this podcast 
is if you're going to adapt a video game to a movie, keep it fun, keep it silly, keep it non-serious, and don't let a pesky plot get in the way. That way, everyone has fun. See you next time. because you're a sharp guy. How would you feel about making a change? We fear change. <laughs>